We are in a series here at Faith Bible Church through the Old Testament book of Amos and encourage you to find your way to the book of Amos. It's not one that we commonly read, so if you don't know where that is, just feel free to look it up in the front of your Bible and and find a page number and, and make your way to Amos. Today we're actually going to be looking at two chapters, chapter 3 and chapter 4. I'm going to read that out loud and you can follow along in your copy of the Bible. Amos chapter 3. Hear this word which the Lord has spoken against you, sons of Israel, against the entire family which he brought up from the land of Egypt. You only have I chosen among all the families of the earth. Therefore, I will punish you for all your iniquities. Do two men walk together unless they have made an appointment? Does a lion roar in the forest when he has no prey? Does a young lion growl from his den unless he's captured something? Does a bird fall into a trap on the ground when there's no bait in it? Does a trap spring up from the earth when it captures nothing at all? If a trumpet's blown in a city, will not the people tremble? If a calamity occurs in a city, has not the Lord done it? Surely the Lord God does nothing unless he reveals his secret counsel to his servants, the prophets. A lion has roared. Who will not fear? The Lord God has spoken. Who can but prophesy? Proclaim on the citadels in Ashdod and on the citadels in the land of Egypt and say, Assemble yourselves on the mountains of Samaria. See the great tumults within her and the oppressions in her midst. But they do not know how to do what is right, declares the Lord. These who hoard up violence and devastation in their citadels. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, an enemy, even one surrounding the land, will pull down your strength from you and your citadels will be looted. Thus says the Lord, just as the shepherd snatches from the lion's mouth a couple of legs or a piece of an ear, so will the sons of Israel dwelling in Samaria be snatched away with the corner of a bed and the cover of a couch. Hear and testify against the house of Jacob, declares the Lord God, the God of hosts. For on that day I will punish Israel's transgressions. I will punish the altars of Bethel. The horns of the altar will be cut off. They will fall to the ground. I will also smite the winter house together with the summer house. The houses of ivory will also perish and the great houses will come to an end, declares the Lord. Hear this word, you cows of Bashan who are on the mountain of Samaria, who oppress the poor, who crush the needy, who say to your husbands, bring now that we may drink. The Lord God has sworn by his holiness, behold, days are coming upon you when they will take you away with meat hooks and the last of you with fish hooks. You'll go out through breaches in the walls, each one straight before her, and you will be cast to Harmon, declares the Lord. Enter Bethel and transgress, and Gilgal, multiply your transgression. Bring your sacrifices every morning, your tithes every three days. Offer a thank offering also from that which is leavened, and proclaim free will offerings. Make them known, for so you love to do, you sons of Israel, declares the Lord God. But I gave you also cleanness of teeth in all your cities and lack of bread in all your places, yet you've not returned to me, declares the Lord. 
Furthermore, I withheld rain from you while there were still three months until harvest. Then I would send rain on one city and on another city I would not send rain. One part would be rained on while the part not rained on would dry up. So two or three cities would stagger to another city to drink water but not be satisfied yet. You've not returned to me, declares the Lord. I smote you with scorching wind and mildew, and the caterpillar was devouring your many gardens and vineyards, fig trees and olive trees. Yet you've not returned to me, declares the Lord. I sent a plague among you after the manner of Egypt. I slew your young men by the sword along with your captured horses, and I made the stench of your camp rise up in your nostrils. Yet you have not returned to me, declares the Lord. I overthrew you as God overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah, and you were like a firebrand snatched from a blaze. Yet you have not returned to me, declares the Lord. Therefore, thus I will do to you, O Israel, because I will do this to you. Prepare to meet your God, O Israel. For behold, he forms mountains and creates the wind and declares to man what are his thoughts. He who made dawn into darkness and treads on the high places of the earth. The Lord God of hosts is his name. Amos wasn't a prophet by trade. He was a breeder of sheep, but God called him to be his mouthpiece to the people of the northern tribes of Israel. Roughly 2,750 years ago, Amos proclaimed this message. And one thing is for sure, what was important to God then is important to God now. And one of the things that's important to God is justice. We noted last week that in the last days, every person will give an account for how they've lived on this earth. For those who stand in rejection of the person of Jesus Christ... Revelation chapter 20, toward the end of that chapter, tells us they will face a judgment called the Great White Throne Judgment. And they'll have to give an account for their life, and then they will be cast into a place of eternal torment because they rejected Jesus Christ. And Christians will face what's called the, the Judgment Seat of Christ. We know because of what Christ has done for us, that we will spend eternity in heaven, but we will give an account. And for some, there'll be great joy as we're rewarded for our service for Jesus, and for others, there'll be momentarily momentary sorrow for our lack of serving Jesus here on this earth. But one thing we find in Amos is that God doesn't wait just to the end in dealing with people's sin. In fact, we see in Amos that especially for God's people, he deals with us when we choose to sin against him now. In fact, he especially deals with us because we are his Children. Quite a few years ago, we had three sons in high school. And one of our sons told us, significantly after the fact, that he had been at one of his buddy's houses with his friends. 
And his friend's dad brought them all beer. Well, needless to say, I was not pleased. And my son relayed to me, he said, well, dad, it's pretty common. And I can remember to this day saying, what that dad wants to do with his kid is up to him. But that's not acceptable. Because you are my son. You see, I've invested in him. I have loved him. I have protected him. He is my son. And I have a responsibility to watch over his well-being. And if he chooses to err, he's going to know it. Because... He is my son. And that's exactly what God is going to tell Israel here in Amos chapter 3 and Amos chapter 4. He disciplines those who are his. So we're going to see in chapter 3, God, through the prophet Amos, telling Israel, I'm going to discipline you. It's a sure thing. And then in chapter 4, he's going to tell them why he's disciplining them. He's going to say that you have gotten rich on the backs of other people. You mistreat people for your own gain. And then they're coming to worship at church as if everything's right between them and God. And God has been bringing discipline into their lives. And hoping that he would get their attention and they would return to him in their hearts. And he does it again and again and again. And the Lord keeps repeating, but you didn't return. You didn't return. You didn't return. And so here in Amos 3 and 4, through the prophet Amos, the Lord tells Israel, You are my children. And because you are my children, I'm going to discipline you. Chapter 3 brings that message home in a very clear way. God disciplines his people because they are his people. Notice with me verse 1. Hear the word which the Lord has spoken against you, sons of Israel, against the entire family which he brought up from the land of Egypt. That whole clan of people, that whole people group, God delivered out of Egypt. He purchased them out of their bondage. They belong to him. You only have I chosen among all the families of the earth. Therefore, I will punish you. It it seems kind of counterintuitive, doesn't it? The Lord is saying, I knew only you. I cared for you. I delivered you out of your bondage. I heard your cries. I have watched over you. I've protected you. I am your God. You are my people. Therefore, I'm going to discipline you. I love you so much, I'm going to discipline you. 
By the way, Israel, I'm going to do it. In verses 3 through 8, the Lord is saying the discipline is inevitable. And he looks back to Amos, kind of looks at examples from nature and says, if this happens, then this is surely going to take place. If two people go on a trip together, uh, verse 3, there was an agreement that they were going to travel together that took place first. If you hear a lion roaring, the lion has already gotten his prey. He got the prey, then he roars. So Israel, listen up. The Lord has just said that he's going to discipline you. And when he says it, it's going to happen. I was a pretty mischievous kid. I was in trouble all the time. I mean all the time. When I was really little, the whole church family could pretty much know what time it was because I had a regular appointment on the back steps of the church with my mom getting spanked. I mean, I was just, I think people thought I'd end up in the penal system someday. (laughs) I was always in trouble. My father traveled a lot. And so one of the worst things that would happen to me is my mother would whip out this phrase, when your dad gets home, you are going to be disciplined. Well, dad may not get home for three weeks. And one of the things that I learned is whenever my mom said that, she never forgot. I mean, she could say that, and then we could go along for three weeks, and, um, I, hey, I think she's forgotten. I, I'm, I'm, I'm home free here. Nothing's going to happen. My dad gets home. He's in the house for 10 minutes, and boom, they're in their room. She's telling him what I did, and it just, the hammer comes down. I mean, whenever there was a pronouncement of discipline, it always happened. And that's exactly what Amos is saying to Israel. Israel, the Lord has just said, he's going to discipline you. It's going to happen. In fact, down in verse 7 it says, Surely the Lord God does nothing until unless he reveals his secret counsel to his servants, the prophets. A lion has roared. Who will not fear? He's picturing the Lord as a lion, and he's telling Israel, that's the Lord's voice. You need to be concerned. And then in verse, the end of verse 8, he says, the Lord God has spoken. Who can but prophesy? I have no choice. I have to tell you what he just said. So the Lord, almost in a, in a note of sarcasm, calls on Israel's enemies. He calls The Philistines, one of the Philistine cities is Ashdod in verse 9. And he calls the Egyptians, Egyptians, and says, Okay, Philistines, Egyptians, get up on this hill above Israel, and I want you to just look down on Israel and watch how they mistreat people. You're going to love it. You're going to think this is the best entertainment we've had because you do the same thing and you're going to be up there applauding Israel for how much they mistreat people. What a sad commentary on Israel because the Lord is saying that Israel acts just like their enemies do. 
So the Lord calls upon Egypt and Philistia to look down and see that Israel is doing the same stuff they do. They're mistreating people. They don't even know what's right anymore. And so the Lord in verses 11 through 15 through the prophet Amos tells them, discipline's coming and it's coming in the form of an enemy. We know from other passages of scripture and from history that this exact, this happens just like the Lord says it will. And the Assyrians are going to come in and take the northern kingdom captive. Verse 12 says it's just going to be like a shepherd who's guarding his sheep and a lion comes in and kills one of the lambs. The shepherd has to get little pieces of that lamb that's left from that lion and take it to the owner of the sheep and say, see what happened. Here's the proof. Here's a leg. Here's an ear. That's what it's going to be like for Israel. Verse 14 seems a little strange. It says, For the day that I punish Israel's transgressions, I will also punish the altars of Bethel. The horns of the altar will be cut off, and they will fall to the ground. Now, Bethel is, is for the north, is like their center of worship. And we know from the book of Exodus, chapter 21, verse 14, and the book of 1 Kings, chapter 1, verses 50 and 51, and chapter 2, verse 28, that on Israel's altar, there were these, these parts of the altar that came off each corner. They're called the horns here. And if somebody was in trouble, maybe they accidentally killed uh, a, a neighbor and uh, the neighbor's families after him, a person could go and grab onto that horn of the altar as a, a means of finding asylum of safety. And here, the Lord is saying, I'm knocking off all the corners, meaning there's no way you are going to get out of the discipline that I'm bringing on you. What I have said is coming, is coming. You cannot avoid it. It's sure. It's going to happen. Now it's important for us to remember here as we look at this and remember that this 2,750 year old material is just as applicable to us as it is to Israel. It's important for us to remember here that God is telling His people That he's disciplining them because they are indeed his people. If you think about that, the New Testament tells us the same thing as Christians. If you keep your finger in Amos, I'm going to turn over to the book of Hebrews chapter 12. And the author of the book of Hebrews says the same thing that Amos says to Israel. He says the same thing to Christians. Hebrews chapter 12, starting to read in verse 7. It is for discipline that you endure. God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? But if you are without discipline, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate children, not sons. Furthermore, we had earthly fathers to discipline us, and we respected them. Shall we not much rather be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as seemed best to them. But He disciplines us for our good, so that we may share His holiness. 
One of the things that happens to us is we tend to fall into patterns of sin. A sin cycle. And in whatever areas of sin you struggle with, what I struggle with, say for example, maybe you struggle with outbursts of anger. And you know what triggers that. And you have blown up way too many times. And you start seeing that same trigger again and you start lying to yourself. Say, well, there's nothing I can do about it. That's just how I'm made. And I've, I've sinned in this way before. I'm gonna just keep on doing it. There's a cycle there. We start lying to ourselves, saying that there's nothing that we can do about it. It's inevitable. And one of the things that we have to do is break that cycle. And one of the ways to break that cycle is preach to ourselves. Remind ourselves of what God's word says about that. And one of the things that we need to remind ourselves of is this. That God disciplines his children. And then we can lie to ourselves and think, oh, I can get away with this. And God's been gracious to me in the past, and I can just keep doing this, and he'll just continue to overlook it. It's not what God's word says. God's word says, especially we see it for New Testament Christians and Hebrews, is that if I'm genuinely his child, and I'm choosing to sin against him, and I'm continuing in that sin, he's going to discipline me. He's going to. It's inevitable. Most of us in this room probably have a dishwasher in our home. If not, you've got someone appointed to be the dishwasher. But if you have a mechanical dishwasher, it has cycles, doesn't it? Probably your dishwasher begins with some means of heating water. And then maybe there will be a cycle of uh, like a pre-rinse. And then maybe there'll be a cycle of like a deep wash. And then maybe there'll be a cycle where uh, heat comes into that dishwasher and dries all your dishes till they're spotless. It's a cycle. It follows the same thing every time. And somehow, sometimes that's what sin looks like in a Christian's life. And we just start thinking, hey... This is just how this happens in my life. We've got to break the cycle. And one of the things that we have to do is preach to ourselves and remind ourselves, I can't keep doing this, otherwise God's going to discipline me. I can't think I can run to the altar and hold on to the horn and nothing bad will happen to me. No, God broke off the horns. There's no getting away from his discipline. And by the way, the older I got, I kind of started to wise up a little bit and realize it's much nicer when dad gets home from a trip if discipline wasn't waiting for me. You kind of, you start learning, hey, this discipline's not very fun. Breaking that sin cycle. And the other thing we've got to do is remind ourselves of the truths of Romans chapter 6. That we don't have to sin. We don't have to stay in that cycle. 
Well, here, God is trying to get Israel's attention. You have been sinning. And so I'm bringing discipline on you. Now, as we come to chapter 4, Amos shares with Israel that God already has been trying to get their attention. In maybe some smaller ways, he's been trying to get their attention and they continue to ignore him. You see, God in his grace is always at work in the hearts of his believers. Because he does not want us to grow accustomed to sin. And he's trying to get our attention when we start walking away from him. And so Israel has been walking away from him continually. And the Lord has been trying to get their attention. And they ignore him. So in chapter 4, God through the prophet Amos is very clear. This is what you have been doing. This is why I'm disciplining you. He tells them two things. One, he's going to tell them that he's disciplining them because they're getting rich, but on the backs of other people. Israel, you're taking advantage of people. You're growing wealthy, but you're doing it at the expense of other people. And then he confronts them. The second thing they're doing is they're coming to worship as if everything's great. They're coming to worship as if they are close to God, even though their hearts are far from him. They are religious hypocrites, ignoring God. Now we see right at the end of chapter 3, Amos gives them a hint of what's going to be said in chapter 4. It says, I will also smite the winter house together with the summer house. The houses of ivory will also perish, and the great houses will come to an end, declares the Lord. In the ancient Near East, the only person that would own two houses, like a winter home and a summer home, is the king. Now, this verse is not preaching against vacation homes. It's preaching against having a vacation home at the expense of other people. It's preaching against amassing wealth on the backs of other people at their expense. That's what Israel is doing. And so the Lord's going to confront them. He's going to tell them that he disciplines them when they get rich on the backs of the of the poor. And when they look religious, but they refuse to repent. And so we come to chapter 4, verse 1, and Amos says this. Hear this word, you cows of Bashan, who are on the mountain of Samaria, who oppress the poor, who crush the needy, who say to your husbands, bring now that we may drink. So here's what's going on. Amos is talking to Israelite women. And he calls them cows of Bashan. It's not an endearing term. Now, this probably has a different connotation back then than it would for us. If you call a lady a cow, it's not a good thing. Now, it wasn't a good thing back then either, but it meant something very different. What Amos is saying is this. There's a region across the Jordan River called Bashan. It's the absolute 
best ground for livestock that you can imagine. In fact, in the book of Ezekiel, chapter 39, verse 18, it talks about how the livestock just gets gorgeous on the grasses of Bashan. So when Amos calls these wives cows of Bashan, he's talking about the fact that they have everything that they could want. He's talking about the fact that they are rich beyond rich. He's talking about the fact that these women have everything, but at the expense of other people. They've convinced their husbands that they need so much that their husbands are going out and becoming financially wealthy by hurting other people, by taking advantage of other people on the backs of the poor and the afflicted. Thus, verse 1 says, they oppress the poor and they crush the needy. I made up a little joke at the office this week. I told the office staff that I'm sure these women of Israel, these cows of Bashan, shopped at Dress Barn. (laughs) Isn't that a terrible name for a women's clothing store, Dress Barn? I don't know, if I was a girl, I would not shop there. It just sounds bad. There's this place, there's this women's store on Michigan Avenue in Chicago. I think it's called... Faline's basement or something like that. But you go up a flight of stairs to get there. It doesn't make sense. So anyway, here's Amos. And Amos is talking to these women and he's saying, you have everything imaginable. But you're doing it at the expense of other people. So this is what Amos says. The Lord God has sworn by his holiness Behold, days are coming upon you when they'll take you away with meat hooks and the last of you with fish hooks. You'll go through breaches in the walls, each one straight before you. So this foreign invader, we know it's the Assyrians, are going to come in in such massive force. They're going to destroy city walls. They won't even have to use a gate to get their captives out. And they will haul people out as if they were meat on a hook. And take them away to a foreign land. That's a sober message. And God says, I've been trying to get your attention. And you just are oblivious to my work in your lives. I've been trying to discipline you as a father disciplines their child. And you're ignoring me. In fact... What Israel's doing is they're just going off to worship and they're bringing their offerings and their tithes thinking that, well, God has made us rich and the more offerings we bring, he'll just make us more rich. And so he actually, again, kind of with a sarcastic tone, tells them in verse 4, Enter Bethel and transgress. In Gilgal, multiply transgression. Now Bethel, again, is their center of worship. We know Gilgal, if you go back to Joshua 4, that's when Israel first entered the land. They took stones and built a memorial there. And the northern kingdom most likely is using that as a place to make animal sacrifices. So here, the Lord sarcastically says, go to your places of worship and just sin. 
Now, God's not wanting his people to sin. But what he's saying is, just keep on bringing your sacrifices and your offerings. Keep on making it look like on the outside that everything's right between you and me. Even though your hearts are so far away from me. And then he goes on and starts listening to them how he's been trying to get their attention. In verse 6 he says, I gave you also cleanness of teeth in all your cities. Now some would read that verse and say, hey, God's concerned about dental hygiene. This verse has nothing to do with dental hygiene. It's the Lord saying, I've taken all of your food away from you. That's why you have clean teeth. In fact, if you just look at the next line, it says, and lack of bread in all your places. You have clean teeth because I've brought so much drought and pestilence to you. You have no food. Yet, you've not returned to me. In verse 8 and 7 and 8, he says, I've withheld rain. In fact, I've made it rain on one town and not another. There's not enough water to go around. Yet, you've not returned to me. In verse 9, he says, I've sent insects, I've sent caterpillars to destroy your crops, yet you've not returned to me. In verse 10, he said, I've sent plagues, almost like Egypt, yet you've not returned to me. Verse 11, I overthrow you. I've sent other enemies in to get your attention. You've been like a little stick left after a fire that you pull out, yet you've not returned to me. And every time the Lord says, you've not returned to me, he's talking about repentance. You see, that's what repentance is. When we start walking away from God, repentance is us completely turning our life around and coming back to him. But Israel won't repent. They won't come back to the Lord. And so we find God... Identified in verse 13 as the Lord God of hosts. He is the warrior God that has all of the armies of the, of the universe at his disposal. The heavenly armies are at his disposal. And verse 12 says, prepare to meet your God, O Israel. He is going to bring discipline upon you. Now when we look at passages like this, it's important for us as God's people to not just think about others, not just to think about, wow, Israel was really far from God. But it's important for us to ask ourselves the the right questions. How am I treating people? Do I use people to put myself ahead financially? And, And... on first thought about that, we went, well, how would I do that? I, I, that doesn't apply to me. But could it? What happens if you come across an elderly person who's selling something and they have no idea that they're, they're, what they're asking is so undervalued and, and we can walk away and buy it and say, oh man, did I get a good deal there at the expense of this person? They just didn't know. Or I may get a little close to home here, I'm sorry. But what is it like when we maybe go to a store and we ask a clerk who works on commission and take about a half hour of their time showing us all the differences between an item 
And then we say, I'll think about it. Then we go home and we just buy it on the internet for 10 bucks less. And we've taken that commission away from that person. That's how they live. Or even, this is really facing us again in our own city. There's people within our city that are trying to bring in another casino into our city. And you always hear this mantra, it'll be so good financially for our city. We'll, they won't have to tax us as much. And yet, I feel very strongly, you'll see people saying it's not true. I feel very strongly that the studies are realistic to show that the people who are spending their money at those casinos are the poor, the elderly, people who can't afford to be there. And so we have to ask ourselves, in thinking about even a vote, am I really willing to have lower taxes, if that ever would even happen, on the backs of people who are gambling, who who are losing their money in a way they shouldn't. I mean, the ramifications of how we treat people here in the book of Amos cause us, should cause us to really think through, how does that apply to me? Is there any way that God wants me to rethink my how I relate to other people. And is there any way that I'm somehow putting myself forward on the backs of somebody else? If there is, we need to adjust. The other thing that Amos is saying that Israel's doing here is they are coming to worship with hearts that are far from him. Far from him. And it's important for us also as we look at Amos to remember that when we come before God, when we come into his presence as a congregation, we are to do so with prepared hearts. When I was a kid, we always prepared for Sunday. Uh, on Saturday evening, my sisters would always wash their hair, and then they'd put these bags on their head with these tubes that came out the side of their head into this drying unit. They looked like foreign invaders from another galaxy. They looked so goofy. I don't, don't know if women have those anymore. Probably not. Probably a good thing. But man, did my sisters look goofy. So my sisters would be sitting there with their bag, with their tube coming out of their heads. And while they had the bags and the tubes... I would be polishing my shoes. That was my deal. Saturday is shoe polishing because we have church in the morning. So I'm polishing my shoes. My sisters have the bags on their head. And uh, getting ready for Sunday. Sometimes we would multitask. And as they have the bags on their head with the tube, they'd be doing their Sunday school lesson. And I could maybe get my shoes polished and then do my Sunday school lesson. And my dad even prepared for Sunday because he would go to the day-old bread store and get these flats of like Danish or whatever. And then that was always Sunday morning breakfast. They'd stick those in the oven. We'd get a chunk of Danish, day-old of course, and then go to church. We prepared for Sunday. Now... I suppose all those things are fine. We definitely want to have nice hair and shiny shoes. But what God wants is not prepared shoes and nice hair. He wants prepared hearts. And it's important for us as we look at a book like Amos to also look at our hearts and just 
make sure that, that God's not been trying to get our attention. And it's important for us to think about when he's talking about how, how Israel's coming to worship looking good but for all the wrong reasons. For us to take seriously when we come together as a church family to come with our hearts prepared. So that when we come and, and, and we sing songs, we're not singing songs to each other. We purposefully choose songs that talk about who God is and His attributes and His character. Because we're commanded to praise Him. And praise comes kind of hard for us, but as we're singing and declaring who He is, if we're singing to Him, we're praising Him. And then the second thing we are to be doing when we're gathered together is hearing from him, from this book. I had a guy one time ask me, why don't you just stand up there and just say whatever you want to say? And I said, well, nobody wants to know what I say. That's not why we're here. We're here to, ha- to hear what God has for us out of this book, the only book that he ever wrote, his word to us. And in order for us to praise Him and to hear from Him, it requires us to have our hearts ready to praise Him and hear from Him. So we can do things like, instead of on Saturday just polishing our shoes, just spend some time in prayer, asking Him to show us if there's area of sin that we've not confessed, that we need to confess and make that right. Maybe spend some time just in, in our Bible the day before, just uh, spending some time focusing on who He is, so that when we come to worship Him, we're coming with right hearts and not just looking good on the outside. See, Amos is trying to get Israel's attention. He's trying to remind them that you are special. You are God's people. And because you're God's people, He's going to discipline you because your hearts aren't right. So when we look at material like this and are reminded that God disciplines believers when they look religious but refuse to repent, it's important for us to pause, to look at our own hearts, and to make sure that we're not following the same pathway that Israel's on here. You're here this morning and and you just want to spend some time, maybe extra time praying this morning. One of our leaders will be back in the prayer room. Feel free to go back and just spend some time in prayer. Just talking to the Lord uh, as, as we end up our morning together. Father, we thank you for your word. The encouragement that it brings us. The hope that it brings us. And the reminder it brings us of who you are. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.